This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo. And this week, we're discussing 2018's Paratopic from developer Arbitrary Metric. Developed in Unity and must be completed in one sitting, Paratopic is a first-person anthology horror game following three narratives intertwined but not unfolding in a linear order within one another. In one, you're caught smuggling juicy VHS tapes across the border. In another, you're photographing birds in an increasingly unsettling forest that is home to a dark secret. And finally, you take on a job to assassinate a man in a dingy backroom diner. Confused? We certainly were initially, but I think we will unpack uh, a good deal of the mystery of Paratopic and what makes for an experience that um, I think I would say I'm glad I came to this game five years removed from being released. Because as I was saying to you before we started recording, Neil, this is the type of game that in 2018, I might not have been as receptive to, and it would have probably been um, rather reductive of me to say, well, it's a 40 minute experience. What do I necessarily want to play a 40 minute game for playing in one sitting? I don't know. Is this worth the type of, you know, monetary investment in something that is, you know, shorter than an hour long TV series? And Thankfully, I came to this in 2023 when I have long since come around to much shorter experiences and really came to value, you know, what a developer is able to do in a short period of time. Um, and I am very thankful that we are coming to this game when we are. Yeah, for me, it was uh, obviously the other end of the spectrum because I think I came into this by chance. I think when I was an editor at Bloody Disgusting for games in those first few months and like trying my best to sort of move away from the popular stuff and the obvious stuff because I wanted to cover stuff that was a bit less you know mainstream and yeah this sort of came up in sort of certain circles and I was like okay well I'll give this a go and um yeah I think it's safe to say this is a game that basically birthed horror bites in a way for me because it was this game that led me to see that I knew that you could do short games in, in any medium, in horror, especially even like stuff like Virginia had just, I think, been the year or two before. And much of what's in this I liked because of what Virginia had done, and it made it an easy transition. But 45 minutes, a really punchy way of doing it, and just abstract in a way that I was just blown away by. I, yeah, After that, it just opened a whole new world of games. Uh, and uh, a ways a horror could be. Um, so yeah, it's quite fair to say it, it's an important one. Yeah, I think personally. Yeah, you know, for our chat with Virginia, you had introduced me to that game, and while I really was appreciative of that experience, at the end of the day, I was like, I could have used a little bit more of the supernatural in that. I could have used a little bit of the, more of the horror vibes that that was going yeah. for, but in a bit more overt fashion i think with virginia and enter paratopic a game that is very much leaning into the horror in both you know very overt ways but also i think it builds upon what i was so taken with with virginia which is ultimately and you know it's a buzzword at this point like the vibes yeah. of it right i think that it very much is about how paratopic is very affecting in that atmosphere in the sense of unease and dread right from the beginning even if by the end of, you know, once the credits roll, you still don't know what the fuck is going on in this game, which, to be fair, it is sort of a very vague approach to storytelling. And while, you know, the harder you look and you go back and replay the game and maybe try different options or explore a little bit more of the environments, you know, you can start to piece together that narrative a little bit mm -hmm. more and get some answers, whether they're uh, concrete or not is up for debate, but it's more so just getting a better idea of, you know, what they're trying to do with this narrative and this anthology approach to storytelling, um, I was incredibly taken with. But I really do think that, you know, from the outset, it's a game that unnerves. And I think part of that up front is the fact that it has this low poly aesthetic, mm. which, you know, we've 
both become, uh, you know, I guess suppose in your case, even more familiar with those types of games. And for me, it's like been this sort of awakening in terms of diving into games that are utilizing this older graphical style, but really utilizing that graphical style to tell a story that at the end of the day, you know, feels very singular, I think, along the lines of something such as Paratop. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing you've got to say here is, this is a game that weaponizes it. You know, it, it, everything about it, it is surreal. It taps into what is surreal about that aesthetic in the first place. You know, what it's why horror in, in indie spaces keeps going back to it because there was something fundamentally disturbing about the way things looked. You know, the, the ugly polygon angles and the, you know, the grainy little smushed up faces and things like that. It, it all, felt a bit odd when especially to you know coming to any of that now it looks horrendous in in some ways and like yeah genuinely abstract i mean go back to the original resident evil it now looks like bizarre in a lot of ways compared to what you remember it as you know so i love that a game like this taps into that idea of like it shouldn't feel like this. it feels uncomfortable and, you know, does so through audio as well. We, you know, it, it, the potential is there to sort of smooth out those rough edges that they wanted to, but they don't, you know, it is done in a way that is to enhance that unpleasantness and that awkwardness. You know, there's, you think of the section in the forest and how the skybox is just so fucked up, you know, or it looks like you are just in a big room, effectively. And it, it just adds to the surreal nature of it. You know, it's like, it's a very deliberate choice. And you, you got to admire that as a thing. You know, it's a, a way of going about your game with this sort of low poly ideal that you have to sort of jump into that side of it if you want to get the most out of it rather than just doing it because other people are doing it. And I think because this comes from that earlier period, you can tell how earnest that use of it was. I think also something that I'm really appreciative of with the sort of poly approach, the lo-fi poly approach to horror games is, and maybe it has something to do with sort of the psychological aspect of how we, you know, when you play enough games of a certain generation, I feel like your brain almost starts to latch on to the expectations of those yeah. games, right? And the limitations that they had at that time period when they were making games that look like Paratopic does, but it wasn't a stylistic choice. It was from a technological limitation standpoint, right? And I think that something that I have experienced when going and playing these lo-fi poly games that have been released within, you know, the last five, 10 years or so, is that when these games decide to have those overt, you know, sometimes gory moments that are very, you know, horrifying and whatnot, they catch me off guard because the way that my brain has typically, you know, consumed games that look like this is that I have a very, whether it's subconsciously or not, it's like my brain is expecting what I've experienced in the yes. past. And when a game like Paratopic throws you one of these curveballs and shows you something truly horrifying, utilizing that, you know, the limitations of the technology, you know, that is something that makes it very shocking and unexpected in a way that, you know, we've made a point with this show that we don't typically be like, oh, this is the scariest moment or this was really, truly terrifying in this way or that way. But, you know, with a game such as this, I think it exposes the strength of games such as this that are utilizing that old tech, but are being approached with a more modern horror sensibility in terms of like, whether it is the more uh, overt horror moments or not, it's like, it's it's the best of both worlds, if yeah. you will. It's utilizing the limitations of that tech to tell a story that maybe people back in the day when these graphics were very prominent would have wanted to tell, but just simply couldn't because of, you know, again, technolo technological limitations or, you know, censorship type of thing. Mm. Um, but I think that one thing that struck me right away from the, uh, from the jump of this game, um, and, you know, you and I have talked plenty on this show about games that we've appreciated because they've either been surreal or dreamlike. And I would say that Paratopic from the outset captures a nightmare in the best sense of a nightmare yes. in that it doesn't necessarily rely on, you know, like hellish imagery or bizarre architecture or those things, but more so it drops you into a world 
where you feel like you are constantly trying to decipher what is going on. It's almost as if you're being dropped into the second act of a play. Yeah. The way the characters are talking to you, they're asking you for input on certain things, but not providing proper context for what they're actually asking you. You always feel like you're five steps behind a conversation as if, you know, you were in a drunken stupor and you came to the cops asking you, so, you know, what happened, right? It's the type of thing where you always feel like you're playing catch up. And for me, that is incredibly affecting, um, not only from, you know, drawing up intrigue and like, oh, let me get to the bottom of what the mystery that this is all wrapped in. But more importantly, it's very, very unsettling to have people ask you questions and you have to pick an answer, but you don't have the context. And, you know, going into this game, knowing that your responses can draw different endings or, you know, more understanding into what's going on, like that is a very uncomfortable kind of starting point for an experience. And it's something that I came to define paratopic by. Yeah, I mean, visually speaking, there are two things beyond just like the lo-fi nature of it that work really well in serving that. One is that perspective, which, you know, while it is first person, it is very much that 90s sort of stretched first person perspective that games like Half-Life had, you know, where it's like, it's not quite exactly how you would expect it nowadays, where it's very compact and like looking for a TV rather than through someone's head sort of thing is. And that, you know, that fisheye lens almost gives it a weird quality in itself. And it's one of several things that adds to that very 90s feel to everything it's doing from, you know, being influenced by David Lynch to to that pea-greeny, matrixy style, green uh, style that they got in there and, and the Half-Life stuff. It all works together. And yeah, I go back to that sort of colour palette as well that green is just perfectly gloomy for everything that's in it you know it just colours everything in this grimy light that um really just makes this world feel alien and distant and wrong and ultimately that's what makes this work as a package you know because everything feels connected but there's just when other colours sort of sneak in there you do get this distinction of what part you know you are a different part of that story you know i think um one of those really important things for that is the road trip bits you get you know where you are basically on a motorway in a car listening to the radio you can twiddle around with it whatever your only job is to twiddle with the radio or and steer your car away from the edges and you get all the scenery and it's different each time and you know you get a bit of red on the horizon with the sun and things like that and the gloom of certain building types in the distance and yeah, those little splashes of extra colour just really make it something, you know. Um, little moments of beauty and clarity in this otherwise very grim-looking world, and I love that about it as well. That has a lot to do with what allows the anthology nature of these interconnected stories, but playing out of order mm-hmm. to really work, because each of those story segments, whether or not you know it takes you one playthrough two playthroughs if you have to use some supplemental material to really, you know, wrap your mind around the story of Paratopic, which, you know, before this, you sent me a great guide that just kind of like helped connect a few dots for me in terms of like making those connections. Um, And I think that ultimately, each of those sections being defined by not only their environments, but more importantly, the types of interactions you're having with other characters in that world is what allowed me to not bounce off, I suppose, of Paratopic's vagueness, if you will. Granted, over the years and whatnot, I've really come around to that type of storytelling because seeing it not only as an artistic decision, but often, you know, it's more than just the story that really makes those types of experiences stand out for me. Something like Virginia, right? It's more about their decision-making in terms of, you know, whether you want to label it as like the vibes of it, whether it's the art direction, whether it's the nonverbal storytelling of that game, like that's what really stood out to me. It was, I, it was hard for me to get caught up in sort of certain vague moments of storytelling, whether it's the blending of, you know, the reality with the more supernatural moments or surreal moments and whatnot. And with Paratopic, while initially once I, the credits rolled, I didn't see that sort of through line throughout. It was the thing where I was still engaged, whether it was visually, whether it was, you know, being very uh, uncomfortable with that nightmare sort of quality. And um, I'm going to keep coming back to that nightmare quality because I think that that very much 
is a distinction from what we typically see, which is this sort of surreal and dreamlike nature with which some games choose to tell their narrative or craft their worlds around in that it's more about we're going to have like very strange architecture in terms of, you know, what pops up in the world or even just, you know, these apparitions or ghostly types of moments. And in Paratopic, what is so disturbing to me uh, is when you're interacting with characters, it's not only the fact that you feel like you're coming in late to a conversation, but a big part of it is like the sound design. So, you know, when characters are speaking to you, every fourth word might be a word that you can actually like decipher. But the rest of it is that sort of gobbledygook, which is, you know, in lieu of proper voice acting, if you will, which is pretty common, I think, with games such as this that uh, typically have small teams, have a small budget and whatnot. Um, But ultimately, you know, that is one of the qualities that, again, it's almost like you're trying to decipher this foreign language. So you're hearing these words that don't make sense. You're reading words that don't always, you know, make sense or bits of dialogue that stand out as strange is this factor that I find to be not just like, oh, we're going to like confuse the player, but it really is informative of, I think, the entire approach with Paratopic's world, because you are in this sense of like, I don't know what's going Mm -hmm. on. And it's up to the player to really decipher their own understanding of it with very little handholding. Um, And I think that that's a difficult balance because we've definitely played games in the past that try to adhere to that similar style of design or storytelling and whatnot, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes it comes off as just being like, okay, not only do I not know what's going on, but this world itself is not interesting enough to actually dictate or warrant my wanting to understand more. And that's not something I can say about Paratopic. Paratopic, I was invested from the get-go. It helps. It's a 40-minute experience, but I think that in a very short amount of time with that intro, I am all in on trying to get through the, the end of this and have some semblance of an understanding of this very singular and very strange world. Yeah, it is quite the interesting thing to play through once and sort of go, hmm, where, what did I miss? Where did I miss that? And I think people can be funny about, you know, games that uh, don't spell things out necessarily because... Yeah, on the one hand, if they try to be too ambiguous, then people get snotty. I mean, as they, we were talking about this before, there was like a one-star Google review about this game where they were just sniffing at the sheer pretentiousness of not giving up answers and being too vague <laughs> and like this. And it's just right. like, you're going to get that. That's understandable. Um, and then, you know, as you were saying, the other half of it, you'll get those who will complain about the sheer length of it being, you know, I paid five quid for something that is you know, 50 minutes long at best. And it's like, which is always a shit fucking thing. But, you know, we know that's the way it is. Within 10 minutes of playing this game, I was like, I could already hear the angry <laughs> discourse that was probably surrounding this game upon release on Twitter or Reddit or whatnot. Um, but I think that if anything, you know, coming into this game as late as I did and experiencing it for the first time, I think it's been a great primer having horror bites because I'm more attuned to those types of experiences, especially over, you know, the five years since this was released and going into it and not having that be a surprise, I suppose, in terms of the length, but more importantly than just, you know, how long an experience is, it's that there's not a moment wasted. And if anything, the experience gets longer, the more invested you are in that world. If anything, my next, you know, first playthrough, it took me 40 minutes, I think 45 minutes to get through it. My next playthrough will definitely be longer. It'll probably be an hour because I'm not only was I searching in my first playthrough, but I'm going to go look for every single nook and cranny that I can now in environments that perhaps I was like, oh, you know, there can't be anything in this bathroom. But then I go back and check the bathroom and you can move the mirror and there's some kind of little note in there. So like little Easter eggs in a world that is basically begging the player to explore it. Often I find to be the most rewarding types of games and just experiences in general because again when you're talking about something that is very vague that doesn't necessarily spell things out if you're going to go that route which is totally viable you better have a world that is actually able to support that um, in a way that is more meaningful than just here's a letter that you missed the first time that spells everything out right i think that it's much more interesting and the onus is on the player after that to be like hey this is something that i enjoyed the first time around I'm going to go back and strengthen that understanding. And I think having the framework to actually have that actually have a payoff is 
you know, goes without saying is incredibly important. And uh, yeah, diving back into this a second time almost feels required to fully mm. sort of grasp the experience as a whole. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, my fourth time now. So it was, but my first time in a long while, yeah, because I, you know, this was a game that um, you know, when it came out, I did a review on it. We had Andrew King, you know, a friend of the show, he did an article for me talking about this game in September 1999 yeah, in the end of year best of lists with this yeah, and that was a really good one if you find that one bloody disgusting and yeah it just there was so much talk about it and I got into it and like it's one of those things you know, when a, a year has gone by and you've got really into certain things in that year you almost without realising it just cut it off after that point and it, like you forget about it and like that was that year I don't really I'm not going to think about that in this year's terms. Uh, some games obviously go beyond that and you end up playing them again and again and again, but that's different meanings and different reasons. This one, you know, I played again when it came out on Xbox a couple of years ago. And you know, I was like, oh, it's cool to have this on console. is amazing, you know. just felt odd. I mean, now it's quite common, you know, Puppet Combos got Torture Star up and got console games coming out all the time. Uh, and that's brilliant, you know, that we can have that sort of thing. But Paratopic just feels so different, you know, so special. And, you know, I, like I said to you earlier, there's so many games that I've played since that I would not love if not for that. You know, I think um, Go Fly Kite is a great example of that because I think it, whilst oh, yeah. different, I think there's so much about it that ties into what this game does in terms of, like, on a technical an artistic standpoint, you know, I think it really has something. So, yeah, just getting to play it again for the fourth time and just being able to sort of go, it's 45 minutes, I'll just do this after dinner before anything else, before I've had a bath and, yeah, just sort of loving the fact that, you know, the the warning is there are no saves, you've got to do this in one sitting sort of thing. Bold decision, which I think should be applauded because... It's very easy to just sort of get in the mindset of like, oh, I'll play up to this point and then quit, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And no, it is designed for a single sitting. Yeah. And where it has its indulgences, um, like the car scenes and how long they can go, I think it earns them. You know, I think there's enough yeah. in it where it's like, yeah, you, you've got the ambition to earn that little indulgence of dragging the time out a bit, you know, and maybe pushing the playtime out a bit whether you mean to or not i think it, it just it, whether it's an artistic decision or just a consumer focused decision i think it still works for it i totally agree with that single sitting framework of this right the fact that you know not only do i find it to be a treat the older i get to look at an experience and be like oh i can complete this in a single sitting i'm going to set aside an hour and that is going to be the amount of time that it takes to dive into something like that's a joy at getting to my age. And I think that in terms of those moments that you mentioned that are like a little self-involving and whatnot, it's the type of thing where ultimately it taps into something that you and I have become very fond of through our you know adventures with uh, Horror Bites and that these games that tap into the mundane nature of something or the repetitive nature of something, yeah. but there is a payoff there ultimately, right? And I think that those moments with the car that you mentioned, like there were a couple of times where I got to the point where I was like, okay, what is going to happen? And then I started looking around and I started messing around with the car more, messing around with the radio. And then I look in the driver's seat and there's the box of VHS tapes. I look around, when the fuck am I going to find something new to look at? And I look back and now there's a handgun there. Like little moments, little touches like that, I think are a good way of kind of preying on players, false sense of security, if you will. And that's not to say that there's some massive payoff to that. Like, oh, you look over and then there's a monster or something in the car seat next to you. But ultimately, it goes along with the idea that this is a world that is consistently presenting the player with things that are completely unexpected. Mm. And I think that that's important when you look at an experience that's only 40 minutes, 45 minutes long, and you're saying, oh, this is one sitting and you're done. And for that full 45 minutes, I can thankfully say I could not expect anything that came up anything that happened. And that's a rarity yeah. these days. You know, whether or not you have an experience spoiled for you online or something like that, you get curious and you go in the comment section, which is never great before <laughs> you, you know, in, experience any form of media, whether it's games, movies, or TV. But more importantly, what I think is 
when you have an experience that has this very, very finite period of time with which to leave an impression or tell a story or provide entertainment or scares or whatnot, it's important to have an experience that doesn't feel like it is adhering to, you know, pre-described, let's say, blueprints. It's kind of reductive. But in terms of like you play enough of any style of game or genre of game, you pick up pretty quickly when you're playing an experience that is kind of building off of something that's been successful in the past, something that feels like it's primarily influenced by the popularity of a genre or style of gameplay. And with something like Paratopic, I'm so appreciative of experiences that utilize that finite period of time to play out in the sense that I haven't experienced a story that was as vague, but at the same time, it felt so purposeful. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was that for the sake yeah, of it. It wasn't cynicism when it, it references anything. It is just used as you know, part of the framework uh, to make what it is, which you know, is in any medium is the best way to approach homage and references is to blend it into your own work in a way that doesn't feel like you're just using someone else's stuff to, because people say that's good, you know, like that. Uh, we've picked out certain things, you know, like the half-lifeness of certain bits and that sort of 90s aesthetic to everything. But as I said, it's done with a purpose, with a meaning, you know, the subversion of what it is. And, you know, for, for quality's sake or not, you don't always get that, you know, with games that try to do this sort of uh, tap into nostalgia that you generally get, uh, oh, this person made a game like this, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to do it like that, but it's this. And that's fine. That, that works. And you can get all sorts of kinds of uh, interesting experiments come out of that. Um, because you, I think we've said it only recently. You know, horror is one of those things that you can go over the same old ground, just like you can with rom-coms or whatever. And the beauty of it is how you use those traditional things to make something feel fun, you know, or exciting or interesting or intriguing. And then when you get something that goes beyond that like this, it just takes apart everything it's learned and reconnects it into this different thing, this different beast you can keep getting these frames of reference and going and spouting them off, but they're never the sole reason why you're into it. It's not like I like this because it reminded me of David Lynch or I like this because it reminded me of Half-Life. It's because it has something very unique using those tools. You know, and it's just, you know, it's short, shorthand, you know, for trying to sort of get across what we like about it, you know, to, to mention those things. But, um, it's a reason why you you go online to look at games like this and hear people talking about it. Unless it's like, you know, particular niches, you're not going to get the same depth of uh, spoiler <laughs> spoiler territory that you will with some things because it's not it's sure. not easy to understand, you yeah. know, and <laughs> as a result you get less people, you know, you, you get less people really understanding it and therefore less discussion. You, know, you can always tell the more abstract TV shows or movies or whatever, because they're the ones you don't get spoiled the fuck out of on Twitter after they come out, you know? And that's... Yeah, that's a very valid point. And a very valuable thing to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely thankful for that. But uh, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the directorial aspects of this yeah. game and how it plays out, as well as breaking down some of those uh, you know, anthology segments and how they all intertwine into this very supernatural and surreal story. All right, and we are back from our break. And one thing that I was very impressed with right off the bat with this game in terms of how it cuts between not only the various storylines, but also you know, it's approach to transitioning scenes. Right. And part of this is probably a byproduct of being developed in unity, right? Which, you know, is we have time and time again, seen is a engine that people have been able to craft a lot of, you know, magic with whether it's horror or otherwise, at the same time, there are certain limitations that come with yeah. that. And so part of it is probably a limitation of the engine itself. But, you know, also, I think it really does reveal when you have a creative that, has a lot of sort of not only ingenuity with how they want to tell stories, 
but more importantly, how they can make that adhere to a game or a project's sort of identity and what it sets out to do. And with Paratopic, one thing that I was really impressed with was the shifting of scene transitions, yeah. which reminded me a lot of Virginia. Again, yeah. I keep coming back to Virginia from um, Variable State. But you know, early on, there's a segment where the player is basically in this apartment building and they're waiting for the very long wait for their uh, elevator to come down, which, you know, is building tension in and of itself, right? You're kind of, you press a button, you extinguish a cigarette, and then you stand there for like 45 seconds waiting for this fucking elevator with nothing to do other than soaking up that atmosphere or enjoying the uh, ambient music and the score from composer Lazy Brown, which notably um, this game won in excellence in audio in 2019 at the independent games festival awards. And we'll chat more about the music in a little bit, but um, I thought that was just a moment where it's like, you're forced to kind of occupy this space with, you know, quote unquote, nothing to do, but you are just soaking up that atmosphere and that ambient track doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. But in terms of the transitions for scenes that I mentioned, you know, when you're waiting for that elevator as soon as the doors open and you step onto it, it immediately transitions to you and it doesn't miss a beat stepping off of the elevator upstairs, which caught me off guard for a moment. I was just like, wait a second, I don't have to push a button or this or that. Like it's such a quick bit, but I found that ultimately it feeds into that nightmare atmosphere and sort of approach that I, you know, have been uh, going on about ad nauseum at this point. But it truly is this thing where it's like, I can clearly see that it is a limitation of making a game in Unity, but it fits so perfectly within Paratopic's sort of sense of world building and storytelling. And you even get this really great interaction with uh, a neighbor when you finally get up to your apartment building, yeah. right? And you have your neighbor that is asking you for like a VHS tape, which, you know, the previous segment had been you're in the shoes of a smuggler who's been found with contraband, which is these strange VHS tapes that have a strange effect on people when they watch them. And then you're in this other person's shoes who's going into this building and the person is like, oh, uh, you need to give me one of these VHS tapes. Uh, Give me a juicy one. And you still don't really truly know Mm. what the context of those tapes are. Why are they so important? What is actually on the tapes? And then you have this dialogue with this person. And as soon as they disappear, it's not that they like turn around and walk away, but you pick a dialogue choice and then they just disappear. Which is like, again, it's this very sort of unsettling thing that you can see coming again because there's a couple of instances like that. But every time it happens, it almost feels like, oh, somebody took the VHS tape out of this movie I've been watching and put in a new one to continue the story. Yeah. Um, I found that to be something that was jarring, but the way in which it is, again, you know, executed on ultimately feels in line with just Paratopic's very singular brand of uh, storytelling. Yeah, I, it just the cuts between things are remarkable in that regard. I think you, you have those moments, like you said, that are like Virginia where it just suddenly just cuts to the next thing like out of nowhere. And, you know, as I was saying before, that's a big reason why I was quite intrigued by this game in the early going, because, Oh, this, this reminds me of that and great on way ramp to have. Um, yeah, I love that sort of, abruptness of it as a result because it does just make it feel a bit more surreal that you are just sort of never really in control really just sort of seeing vignettes of each life not understanding who is what and when and where and how until uh, two playthroughs maybe maybe more to really get the gist of what's going on um and yeah it does thematically keep this idea of tapes and what they do in very different ways without like being very obviously based on tapes you know like that you know the fact that you sort of rewind and loop back to certain things without it doing the you know thing or any of that you just come back to it and yeah and just the repetition of environments and different um characters in those environments it's really smartly done. You know, I think it's, uh, the mystery about the tapes themselves kind of bleeds into how the game plays, I think. And that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, just one of the smart things you get to see on a kind of like at least a couple of occasions is the effects of these tapes where it is, a, it has a very drastic effect, but it, you know, 
according to official sources here, you know, it doesn't kill people, but it does some fucking right. strange things to them. You now, you talk about the neighbor. <laughs> yeah, who disappears yeah. like that? You can go back along and sort of peer in their door as they're watching the tape that they've basically gleaned off you. And you know, I don't. I know we we do spoilers still to a degree, but you aren't ready for what happens in a way because yes. even in that sort of way that it is presented in, in these sort of very muddy visuals, it's still very clear that oh, that went different. And, um, yeah, you, you're suddenly like, okay, I'm, you're expecting the next beat of that to happen, like some terrible, horrible thing. She just goes on watching like that as she is, yeah. you know, and you know, it's not quite as extreme as the, the one at the end where we had this, you know, very you know, heavy sort of what the fuck thing that mm. goes there and uh, the after effects of a more physical um you know, destabilization of one of the characters, if you will. Um, <laughs> Putting it lightly. Yeah, yeah, and that's, there is like a little sort of hint in that section that something about the videotapes has connections to something else in, in reality and um, that cause these effects. And, you know, depending on how much is captured in these tapes, clearly messes with you in some way, you know, like... It, it's like a physical representation of like having your mind turned to noodles effectively. And yeah, it's a really interesting way to go about it. All this sort of like the tapes, why are they addicting? Why are they compelling? Why are they so effective? And without ever giving a straight answer, just giving you sort of theories and ideas and loose connections that, um, yeah, really the more you get to understand the game, the more interesting it becomes and the more you start to sort of build your own mini theories. It has a very Videodrome quality to yeah. it in the sense that that approach to body horror where, you know, these horrific things are happening and yet they're horrific, but your your brain or your body is deriving some sort of primitive almost pleasure from yeah. it to the degree that it ultimately makes the disturbing thing that you're looking at that much more disturbing because it's one thing in, you know, in movies primarily, if somebody's having their body or their flesh, you know, mutilated or ripped apart or this or that, it's accompanied by fear and terror and pain. But it's more disturbing, in my opinion, when you see something that unfolds like it does in Paratopic at a couple of moments, but the people themselves don't seem to actually be suffering, no. which is ultimately, you know, what kind of creates this very, you know, talk about uncomfortable. Uh, that moment also, the first time you encounter that is quite literally like fucking shocking. Yeah. Because again, that comes back to that idea of, you know, when you're playing something that's lo-fi poly, it's the thing where it's like, oh, okay, I have certain expectations for what's going to happen. I Maybe there'll be blood, but it's going to be this very pixelated sort of blood that is, you know, a byproduct of the limitations of certain tech and whatnot. And to see where Paratopic goes with the body horror in this game, yeah. you know, every time it happens, and it doesn't happen a great deal, but every time it happens, it is notable and it is shocking. And it makes for a moment that I was like, oh, okay, this further is more evidence that, you know, you can't sort of have these preconceived notions of what these lo-fi experiences are truly capable of because they can go in directions that people are either not expecting or even pushing the boundaries in some mm -hmm. regards of, you know, what you can get away with in uh, a game. But I think um, ultimately for me, what really does allow the body horror to operate in a way that is continually shocking and continually uh, surprising ultimately is the direction that each of those narratives take and the lack of linearity between them, yeah. right? And that is still something that, granted, I've played the game once, I did read that guide you sent me, but I think that ultimately I'll have an even greater appreciation for the story the more that I get to replay this experience. But I'm curious for you, you know, given that it has that anthology nature, what does that really do for the narrative itself? Like what is gained from having that sort of crisscrossing of the three narratives? I think initially the, the main thing that comes from it is that it lends an air of mystery you know, that you would otherwise not quite get. If you told that story straightforward, yeah, you'd get the point a bit more. You'd understand that you are 
in anthology land and you are having three separate stories very quickly here it takes a little while to sort of even get the hint that is this the same person and i think it really becomes clear when you return to the state park for the second time that uh okay so there's different time periods going on there's different characters there's interconnections between their worlds but not necessarily at the same time and that's a really smart way of doing an anthology you know where anthologies can tend to be you know disconnected in a way that is you know, they take place at different places at the same time or they have thematic uh connections that mean they are separate from each other otherwise but they share you know that common thread this is you know obviously not the same but you know, if you're going to go into the world of it it's kind of close to say what trick-or-treat does you know, in terms of its anthology you know where it's like mm-hmm. it all takes place in the same place you get sort of loops and hints of where each episode is going and taking place from what happened in the last one and you know, characters from one will appear in another and then you sort of form a picture at the end this is a very ambiguous uh state that this game is in compared to that though so you're still going to come out of the game okay where does that fit in there where does that go there and you know eventually you do get that sort of picture forming of where these characters connect and where they really make this story go so yeah for an anthology as a format i think because it does something different with it and something that isn't traditional i think that's really just not only in keeping with what the game that you're being delivered anyway but just in terms of keeping this sort of surreal dreamlike nature as you say you know where it really does just feel incoherent you know while still making sense and the more you think about it the more it makes sense whereas you know, it, it, it that's probably its greatest strength i think not to say i was having a big brain moment but i was surprised how while I was not truly understanding the larger narrative of everything, I thought that they did a really fantastic job of establishing which perspectives you were mm. in, uh, in terms of the anthology, mostly through, you know, items. Um, you have, you know, the smuggler that never really has an item, but is in constant, um, has the VHS tapes in their possession. You then have, you know, the bird watcher that is going through the forest. Obviously, they have the camera. And then you have the assassin who's the only character that has a firearm. So I thought that they did a good enough job of distinguishing the three perspectives of the storytelling. But then again, obviously, the first time you're playing it, there's no there's almost no way really to kind of (laughs) have a full picture of what is actually happening. But um, one thing that I wanted to bring up that I thought did a good job of keeping me engaged, even though I was, you know, confused and I wouldn't say it is necessarily a major selling point, but it is an element that I think deserves some praise. And it's a part of the writing. And, you know, you earlier mentioned uh, Go Fly a Kite, which is a game that we covered for Horror Bites. It ended up being on, I believe, both of our final Horror Bites list of the year last year. And this game has a great sense of humor, I think, to it, and mostly dark humor. Um, But I think that, you know, you have this dialogue system with, various characters that you're coming in contact with throughout the three different point of view storytellings. And, you know, initially it's not apparent, you know, how your responses will dictate, you know, the outcomes. And that's still not necessarily clear to me after the first playthrough. I just know it does alter things slightly, whether that's your understanding or later outcomes in terms of the story. But, you know, every character you interact with, you get three options of how to respond to them. And there's a recurring bit where you are stopping at this sort of quickie mart, right? This gas station. And you're having these interactions with uh, the shopkeeper there who's basically, you know, it's your typical shopkeeper who's reading a book because they're so bored with the mundanity of their job and whatnot. And so you're having these conversations that ultimately serve as expanding on the world building of, you know, paratopic right, in its world. And you're just kind of getting a little bit more of the lay of the land without having an intrusive cutscene or quite, you know, black and white kind of spelling out of the world. You're getting these little breadcrumbs, if you will. You find out about the state park where there's been some strange things happening. You find out about a haunted, I believe it was a carnival. 
then there's even something like a milk store, yeah. which you're like, what the hell is a milk store? And he's like, he sells milk and he sells accessories like milk bottles and stuff like that. It's like so random, but at the same time, it does provide in that humor, I think, just it kind of like puts the player at ease almost for a moment to be like, oh, this game also has this sense of humor to it that then once they introduce the more horror centric moments, you're like, oh, okay, that I got to remember that we're coming back to this. We're coming back to that. Um, and I just, I'm always somebody that finds that humor can be a part of any type of experience, no matter the genre yeah. or the subgenre. like humor always adds value to something in my opinion, even if it's just a brief moment of reprieve, uh, from let's say a storyline that is more heavy handed in its horror at times, or, you know, in terms of this game, I found that the humor did a good job of kind of grounding me that stopped me from maybe getting frustrated with not having all the answers right yeah. away or even having some answers at all at the end of the game because, you know, it's the type of thing where it's like if you're laughing along with something or something is giving you pause in a way that's humorous, that's going to end up being more of a positive sort of light that I have on something. Um, and, you know, maybe that's a personal thing, but ultimately, you know, I find that a game that's able to incorporate humor uh, ultimately can make an experience that much more, I suppose, palatable. Yeah. Because while I would not necessarily recommend a lot of these sort of horror bite experiences to like my casual gamer friends, right? That can be a tough pill to swallow, I think we found, uh, in terms of what some people are open to. I would be more likely to recommend something like Go Fly a Kite or even this based on its humor because I know the sensibilities of my buddies. It's like, oh, they might be confused. They might not have played something like this. But at the end of the day, like... I know how they respond to humor and they would get more value out of this than say something that plays it completely straight. Yeah. Um, and I find that the ability to use humor also, and it not be either a hindrance or detract from the beats that this game has is like a pretty masterful execution of humor, mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I really, really appreciate. Yeah. I can totally understand what you mean there. Cause I think the key of that is that it's not, what you would expect from humor necessarily with that it probably is the strongest sort of david lynch inspiration i think where it has almost that twin peaks-esque humor where it's like it's not humor in the normal sense but it's something that it's so absurd what's being said or done that it becomes funny when juxtaposed against the world that you're in and it's like because it's slightly tragic, slightly sad that anyone's going to have a milk museum with milk accessories and like that. But like, <laughs> right. what was that? I think there's like a thing about a, a mysterious giant balls of twine thing. Ball yeah, twine. like stuff like yeah. that. And it's like I love that. And then you find out the ball of twine is not entirely twine. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> like that. It's just that's that's yeah. perfectly like a Twin Peaks get bit, you know, in a way. And it's like. Uh, you know, something I've come to appreciate more, I think, with this play for him and being, having seen more of Twin Peaks in its entirety. Uh, you know, I am, um, very much an admirer of that sort of approach to humor. But even in those moments where you have that funny bit of dialogue, this game has such a great job of reeling that in because, you know, as soon as I was going through this very lengthy sort of humor focused portion, as soon as this concludes, that shopkeeper goes, oh, okay, is that it for you and your friend? Or is your friend done filling up? And I was like, what? And then I look out the window and, you know, you see something and all of a sudden it reels you back into, oh, no, you might have had a laugh. You might have had a breather, but you need to be reminded that this is a world that is consistently throwing you curveballs yeah. of the horror variety. Um, and that ends up being an aspect that, you know, I have great respect for because, you know, they say drama is easy, comedy is hard. And the fact that you're able to make those tonal deviations at times, but implement it in a very smart way, uh, again, for an experience that's not even an hour long. Like, I keep coming back to that time distinction. Not only is it notable that like, oh, here's an experience that can be completed in one sitting in 40 minutes, but it truly doesn't feel like a minute of that is wasted. And, you know, You've played enough games at this point in our lives that it's like how many games truly utilize their allotted amount of time yeah. to the benefit of either the player's enjoyment or a story that needs to be told. And with something like Paratopic, I mean, the fact they're able to tell those three narratives and you don't necessarily really have a great grasp on things the first time you play through it. It's a world that is breeding with so many breadcrumbs uh, in terms of leading to, you know, either devising your own explanations for what's going on or the intended 
you know, greater mystery of everything. Yeah, and like those little car trips have so much hidden lore, you know, to them as well. You know, just they're very dreary, very dark, and you're mostly seeing sort of shapes on the horizon, but there's just something about them that tells the story of this world and how bad it is, you know, and how grim it is as a place and almost feeds into this sort of the humour that you were talking about, where it's just almost like a gallows humour, um, where everything's, you know, they're finding fun in things that aren't really, you know, ordinary, but no, no not really, not, not, not that. Um, yeah, those trips in the car do so well with that, because the radio stuff, again, using this whole garbled half, sometimes it's in, you can decipher what it's saying, sometimes it's clearly not. Again, a really impressive bit of audio trickery that you have some lines that are, you know, clearly the lines, but sort of muffled and garbled on purpose a bit, but you can tell what they're saying. And others where they're clearly just, it is the more gobbledygook, you know, made to sound like that. And, you know, having that sort of uncertainty between that, you know, where it's like, is it that I didn't hear the words this time or was it because it really was garbled nonsense? And it's like, it's a nice way to sort of keep you on edge about what's being said. Uh, and it does also kind of throw you off when they do say stuff that you're like, oh, no, I'd recognize those yes. words <laughs> like that. Yep. And it's the same with the radio on the car. You you have the talk show that's going on and you can kind of tell by the tone and, you know, pitch of the voices what's going on in a way in terms of is it a dramatic moment? Is there an argument? Is there, a, you know, is it just a casual discussion? And even with the songs, you know, it's, you have something about them as well where it's discordant but it still has something familiar and safe but in a very unsettling way you know, and again it's you have that whilst looking at this world outside which feels very industrial very broken very sh- with your interaction with the shopkeeper you kind of learn the idea that this world is especially where he is you know there's not much around anymore and you know like you know, we have been reduced to these sort of weird novelties of uh, places to visit and you know normally that would be in like the middle of nowhere or like in deep countryside that you'd have that sort of novelty value but this whole world seems to be like that now and there's an unspoken event almost in this world's uh time that has affected everything and it could well be connected with what you're doing and um the thing your thing you're doing could well have been the reason why the world is what it is yeah, so much is left in the air. And storytelling can be done in that way, you know, where you have so much interpretation left on the table, but you could make a great case for any number of re- things going on in this game. And, and the stuff that has been made official or confirmed is only kind of adds fuel to that fire because it's still not concrete. Yeah, it's still really. not everything that you need to know. It's still enough to go, well, yeah, but I don't know about this. And the wider world is the thing that fascinates me about this game the most is that clearly something is wrong with this world. And it isn't just that everyone in it is like on the wrong side of the tracks. So it's just, it's <laughs> yeah, very dingy, wrong sort of place. And yeah, the, you can feel something has not been right with it for quite some time. Well, I think that that is the best compliment you can give to a game based on its environmental storytelling. And it's not to the degree of, you know, something along the lines of, um, let's say like the last of us. I remember when we had that chat with Jake Decker about the last of us part one. We really were talking about, you know, how that world has a great deal of environmental storytelling, but that type, that brand of environmental storytelling, and it's not to say that it's not, uh, perfectly reputable style of environmental storytelling. But when I think about the last of us, it's like, okay, I'm reading a message scrawled on a wall or I'm reading, you know, the, I'm looking at a pile of corpses and I'm reading a letter and I'm piecing together a narrative that unfolds without the use of a cutscene or something like that. But with something like Paratopic, right? I think that that early segment in the diner when you're the assassin and you're getting this briefing from this mysterious figure that, you know, is, like their face is constantly shifting and they're having this garbled dialogue where every fourth word is an actual word that you can recognize and whatnot. So you're like, Oh, are they actually saying something that makes sense? Is this a stylistic decision? Is this a limitation in terms of, you know, the uh, uh, audio casting and whatnot. But then ultimately while you're having this very bizarre conversation and you're dropped into this world, 
you look out the window and you see a corpse being eaten by a bird mm-hmm. and no one is addressing it, which I think really does tell you all you need to know about yeah. Paratopic's world without having some kind of lengthy cutscene explaining things or having it spelled out in black and white. It's like, no, if you pause for a moment and look around this world, you realize this is a place that something truly, you know, yeah. upending has happened or is currently happening. And I think that that is the best style of environmental storytelling is you let the environment let you on to sort of the tone or the vibes of the world itself that is independent from the current, mm. you know, struggle or narrative of the players, the player or the different, you know, variety of perspectives that are within it. Um, and there's countless examples of that in this game, I think, throughout every environment that you're in, as limited as the time in each of them is, as limited as the interactions are with the characters, it feels like each environment is utilized to the best of their storytelling capabilities without being overbearing, mm. in addition to the dialogue that you have with these various characters. Some of them are very bizarre and surreal and just completely out of sorts. And then some of them are like that quickie mark guy, which is like the most normal interaction in the entire game, except he's telling you about a world that feels, or a town that feels very desolate, that feels like nothing is going right for this town. And as a result, it's become this perfect backdrop for a world that is telling a very confusing and horror centric story, but it feels like the only town that this could happen in because of sort of what we've been, uh, you know, spoon fed, I suppose at times of just the overall vibes of this place. Mm, Absolutely. Paratopic was one of those games that, Again, as I said in the intro, I'm so happy I came to it when I did, because I'm in a very different place, I think, in not only my perception of horror games, but more importantly, you know, the fact that games can be these types of experiences that really do go off script, I suppose, from what you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, I think that at this point, we've played enough horror bites and also just, you know, shorter form horror games that you can feel are being reactive to what's working, whether that be a stylistic choice, whether that be a storytelling choice, whether that be an environmental choice. And to play something like Paratopic that was released in 2018, especially after playing Virginia, which I have to thank you for introducing me to, and this being a much more horror-centric version of what I liked so much about Virginia, because I did really truly enjoy that experience, but you know, the horror part of my brain is like, this could have gone so much harder. I wish it had leaned more into the weird, into the supernatural. And for me, you know, the through line between Virginia to Paratopic has been that very, I think, that very defined sense of the type of story they want to tell and adhering to a directorial sensibility with how to tell that story. Even if one of them, you know, leans more into the overt horror, which, you know, we were purposefully... Uh, you could say, you know, we were as vague in, destru- in describing the horror elements as the storytelling in this can be at times. Um, but ultimately, I think as we, uh, you know, discussed at length, it's the type of game that truly does surprise, I think, even people like us that, you know, have played countless horror games at this point. Um, it's able to utilize that format and that graphical style in a way that makes the horror elements pop yeah. in a way that ends up being incredibly satisfying and affecting. Yeah, I think I put it back in the day. It was like it's basically an unnerving twist on reality, you know, and it it just packs so much into that diminutive framework. Uh, and I, the big thing I said then was the most sort of telling sign of its quality is how its scuzzy sort of psychological creepiness just stays with you, whether you want it or not. You know, it's a game that's just constantly been in my mind since five years ago. You know, because. As I said, so many games I've played since or been inspired to play have have been born of this and this experience. And yeah, I I love it when that happens. You know, it's so rare in video games that you can truly just sort of stumble upon something, you know, even if it was provided and offered by the publisher at the time. It was still like, okay, you know, this is something cool, different. And yeah, you, you can still get those moments where you're like, wow to think that I could have had this pass me by, you know, very easily, you know, and it didn't. And I'm, I'm so happy for that, you know, and, and so happy for your experience as well, where, you know, you come to it, as you said, at the right time for yourself. And that's all you want sometimes with a game, you know, the right game at the right time. And uh, this is very much one of those. It absolutely is. And it's one of those games I'm already planning my next playthrough of it. 
And, you know, I'm sure I'll be doing a deep dive, further deep dive on Reddit or YouTube or something just to kind of pinpoint all the different sort of clues or little breadcrumbs perhaps that I missed. Um, but yeah, Paratopic ended up being a uh, definitely a game that I'm glad, you know, it's at one point, it's kind of like, oh, man, how did I not come to this sooner? But just being so thankful that uh, I came to it when I did at your recommendation or whatnot. But uh, yeah, definitely another another memorable game that I think bucks sort of the idea of what horror games can be and further stands as an example of it's not about how long an experience is. It's kind of what you do at the time allotted to telling a very singular and a very sort of artistically driven, I suppose, yeah. uh, direction or narrative and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you know, as always, it is a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Follow our Horror Bites Twitter page at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.